This is the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, broadcasting from the beautiful hill country of Texas, although this week I will be back. I will be back on the beautiful west side of Oahu, and we'll be doing some shows in Hawaii. Um, But I want to get on with my interview today. We're going to do a broad overview of the state of the persecuted church with Faith McDonald. She works with Cartatismos Global, but for 30 years, I'm sorry, for over 20 years, she was with the Institute on Religion and Democracy. If there's one person that you can talk to to get a broad overview of the state of the persecuted church, that's Faith McDonald, and that's what we're going to do today. This episode is being brought to you by the Vulnerable People Project. Go to our website, thegreatcampaign.org. Become a supporter. Stand shoulder to shoulder with us as we serve the vulnerable. Also, the movie to movement, our latest film, Divided Hearts of America, available streaming everywhere you watch your films. And of course, as always, this episode is being brought to you by My Pillow. You know they're the best pillows in the world. You know by now the Giza Dream sheets are amazing. But do you have the slippers? Do you know about the wonderful My Pillow slippers? For limited time only, you can get them for 40% off. That is a huge discount. That window is about to close. You got to go to mypillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the code Jones, and like in a couple days, you're going to have the most comfortable slippers in the world on your feet. Let's get on with the interview with the great and wonderful Faith McDonald and the state of the persecuted church. This is the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Faith McDonald from Catartismos Global. Did I say that right? Catartismos. You did a great job. You do better than I do, Jason. So Catartismos Global, you are the organization that provides lamb, right, to all the Euro places (laughs) in America? Catartismos Global. Is that what you guys do? You provide the lamb Uh on the spinny thing? And those those cute little um uh wraps you know the with the the the, the what do you call them the, the leaf the, i can't even think what they're called the, euros the spinach, no, no, well those too spinacopita spinacopita is that what we're talking about what are we talking i think that's what we're we're talking about yeah we're, but we're actually stomping all over all. we're stomping yeah. all over the greeks eric metaxas is going to cancel us Catartismos <laughs> Global. All right, tell us what Catartismos. Uh, say, can you say it for me, please? I will try Catartismos. It's a word from well, it's a Greek word, and it means equipping. And for our organization, it comes from the the epistle to the Ephesians, where uh, Paul talks about equipping the saints. So Catartismos. Uh, means to equip. See, that sounded perfect right there. Catartismos. Yeah. So you are with the Anglican community, and you equip the church, the persecuted church? Yes. We equip, we we do as much as we can to equip the persecuted church, but we also want to equip the free church, as long as we're still free, to, to be advocates. And intercessors for the Where is the free church? Are um, they in Malta? Is it like is, <laughs> they're is, in Budapest? In Budapest, the free church <laughs> is like the only place these days. <laughs> so you equip oh, the man. free church to stand with the persecuted church because we are one body. You know, you are in my top five favorite yeah. people on earth that Aww. I'm not related to because they all have to be you know above everyone or they get mad at you. Of course, and you're the of only course. one that's not in the UFC. So that's big. You're of all my top wow. five. You're the only one that's not a UFC fighter. 
Wow. But you're a warrior. Oh my for, God. You're a warrior for the persecuted church. The reason I wanted to have you on, Faith, is there are so many countries right now. The world is on fire. I want to have a guest on to talk about Azerbaijan and the Armenians, and we mm-hmm. will. Uh, we've talked. We talk about. We we talk. We make a real point of of talking about the Uyghur. We talk a lot about Iraq and Syria, and Africa. But you know, really, the whole world is falling apart. And you have been working with the persecuted church now for, I guess, the three decades over three decades now. Um. Well, yeah. If you count before I went to work at IRD, because uh, back when I was even a college student was when I first learned about the persecuted church in the Soviet Union, and um, it just it it blew my mind that this was happening. That nobody had ever told me that there were Christians being persecuted in what were then modern times, which sounds like ancient history to some of your listeners now. But, um, yeah, so it's been a long time. And, yeah, you say that, and it sounds like we haven't done a very good job because the world is on fire and and persecution is rampant. So how do we, as just lay Christians, how do we, or as just, you know, if we're not Christian, we want to serve those who who are vulnerable and those who are suffering. How do we, and I think because in the West, especially with woke culture, the poor Christians, right? If you're a black Christian or an Arab Christian or a Christian in China, the prejudice of woke culture in the West is that Christians are privileged everywhere on earth, that everywhere on earth, Christians are on the top of the societal hierarchy. And so woke culture turns its back on persecuted Christians in Africa and the Middle East and Asia around the world, right? Is, is that fair to say because of this sort of prejudice of the, the left woke culture that Christians are on top of the societal pyramid in every country? Yeah, that, that, is, that is a very true thing, that woke culture, no matter what reality shows, no matter what the facts are, um, Christians are considered to be on the top even when they're on the bottom. Um, we saw this coming, you know, during the Obama administration when uh, there were Christians in Iraq and Syria who wanted to flee the country. I know, you know, the church leaders were not happy about people leaving the country, but in some cases they really needed to. But they they weren't accepted into the United States the way um, the Christians who who we were worried might even have been um, ISIS or other uh, terrorist groups were coming in, and Somalians were coming in and 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 making little Mogadishus in the United States. So um, Christians were the bottom of the barrel then, and um, thanks be to God, we had four years of respite where President Trump um, he was shocked when he found out what was going on to Christians around the world. I mean, he cared about religious freedom and religious persecution in general, but he would make a point of saying, you know, when he spoke at the UN, when he um, spoke at various places, you know, Christians are being persecuted. You you wouldn't believe how Christians are being persecuted. And the fact is, a lot of people didn't care. Um, And so we're seeing it again now, because now the, the State Department has made a statement that uh, they're not going to prioritize religious freedom over other human rights, which really, we were just trying to even out religious freedom with other human rights. Um, but now it, it's it's back flipped around again. Well, and again, that's this woke bias, as if gender or sexuality is at the heart of a, of most oppression around the world when it's it's really oppression emanating from ideology or directed at people because of their ethnicity or because of their religion, not because of how they, uh, the pronouns that they decided to use in public, right? It's just absurd. I, I've I've said this so many times, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you don't want to hear it again. But when I met with a princess in Iraq of a small ethnic community and um, I asked her what was the response of the state department to her requests and her needs, she said that they're not prioritizing religious or ethnic discrimination, but LGBTQ issues. And I thought, how bizarre. This was in the midst of ISIS. Here is a representative of a small ethnic community 
you know, Iraq is such a beautifully diverse country and from an ancient, really beautiful community. And um, she meets, she sits down with the State Department and they're like, we talk about LGBTQ issues. And that's our, our emphasis. And she was just so perplexed. And this is a community, by the way, that is very, um, on those issues, it's very lax, right? It's, it's very lax. Um, my pod, can you hear my iPad listening to our conversation? I'm not talking to you, iPad. That is so bizarre. I'm, my iPad on the other side of the room is like, hey, I'm listening. So, oh, it, my. Oh. And it, it reminded me of that uh, scene in Life is Beautiful when the protagonist runs into that old Nazi doctor who would come to his restaurant in Italy and he, he thought he was uh, going to have a way out for him and his son from the concentration camp. And, you know, he, he, he pulls, uh, he pulls the waiter over, you know, he's they're in a concentration camp and he, he pulls him over and he pushes his fork on the floor and he looks him in the, the Nazi doctor looks him in the eye and he goes, quack, 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 what am I? And he's like, what? He goes, it's a puzzle. You used to be so good at helping me with these word puzzles. Help me. I'm desperate. <laughs> and so when this young woman told me about her experience with the State Department, like that, the official from the State Department could have just looked her in the eyes and said, quack, 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 what am I, right? It's utterly yeah. gibberish and nonsense. So now you're saying with the Biden administration, it's back to business as usual. You remember under the trumpet, I mean, the, uh, the, um, Obama administration, those uh, Assyrian and Chaldean Christians from Iraq were literally expelled from our country in San Diego. They were rounded up. I remember that. And expelled. And then Pope Francis, I'm a Catholic, Pope Francis Mm -hmm. promised these refugees that he met in Greece that he was going to find a home for them in Rome. Mm -hmm. When Pope Mm -hmm. Francis discovered they were Chaldean Christians, there was never any contact with them again. Right. Because it's so easy for me as a Christian to express my thoughtfulness for the Uyghur. People will celebrate you. Oh, you know, it's so Mm -hmm. big of you to stand with these this Muslim Turkic minority in Central Asia or, oh, it's so big of you to uh, stand with the Yazidi. But then when you stand with Christians, you don't get that kind of like, whoa, you're so amazing. Oh, of course, that's your tribe. So Pope Francis, I guess wanted to be celebrated for standing with the other. Um, yes, exactly. But didn't have the courage to stand for so his much. own. Or that stand with the I other. I hate that expression. The other, well, just the other, almost as much as I hate the, uh, the live not by law. <laughs> Can we do a whole Rod Dreher <laughs> takedown? Oh, Lordy. I don't know. You brought it I don't up. Know, but I do. You brought it I, I up. I know I did, and I'm a bad. Do you know why you girl. don't? Do you know why you don't like that expression? Um, the you other, know, the other, because I know you. You don't see these people as other. Anyone is other. No. The only no, people that I see as like... other work for the United States. They work for the State Department. Those people are other, yeah. but I don't stand with them. They're weird. I don't even want to be near them. For yeah. the most part. For the most if part. If if they're not the sheep, you know. I mean the. Separating the sheep and the goats, the the sheep, no matter who they are, are not the other, and and yet we're told we're supposed to embrace the other because that it's a form of virtue signaling. Right. Well, I don't know if it's bad for those of us to maybe discipline ourselves. You know, to sometimes mm-hmm. we have we maybe hold to prejudices or favoritisms, and we want to be fair mm. and just, and, and we. But I think with you, Faith, the reason why it bothers you is with just the work that you've been doing for so long is it's you just don't see people, anyone as other. And yeah, like my dark, my Darfurian friends are not the other. No, they're just my friends. You know, I think it's it's silly to Green Bay Packers fans are other. (laughs) I will other them. (laughs) Why don't? Are you rooting for a, a Texas? No, I'm a Bears fan. Now? I'm a Chicago Bears oh, fan. Still okay. Yeah. Forever and always. Now, um, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, you know, everyone's trying to alienate my, me from being their fan now. The I'm a Bears fan, even if I'm not an NFL fan. How about that? So, um, <laughs> yeah. 
I want to get to the reason I wanted to have you on the show was to help us mm-hmm. in this season of chaos and and um, and oppression against the persecuted church against Christians specifically. This show I really want to focus on Christians. Um, mm-hmm. If you can give us a way of ordering our way of engagement through our families and through our churches, but be um, but before we do that, because you brought it up. I'm going to bring up the book right here. I'm going to look at it. I'm going to look at the cover. I'm going to open the book up. Why don't you like, uh, I, I caught you a little pod shot at Rod Dreher, Live Not By Lies. What was that all about? <laughs> uh, it's been so long ago now, I've almost forgotten about it. Uh, but uh, I I know this is a, a flaw in me, mm-hmm. but um, when I, I'm Irish, so I can I can, you know. I can excuse it because the Irish are very judgmental. You have insulted and, the uh, Greeks and now the Irish. Okay. But I am Irish. I'm going to okay. cancel you. We're going after you. Okay. okay no, I so. love the Irish. But, but my judgmentalness is like when, when somebody starts talking about some subject, say persecution for, of Christians, um, when they have never seemed to take any interest in that before or been part of the advocacy for it before, um, and suddenly they're an expert on it, um, that rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, and Rod Dreher with his new book, Live Not By Lies, I mean, this is a guy who undermined the most persecuted, friendly administration in the history of man, like every chance he got, right? And so we're talking, guys, we're talking about Rod Dreher. Faith is somebody who's been in the trenches, and it's not easy in the trenches, and you have to fight for years, decades sometimes, to make an inch. And then sometimes you get pushed mm-hmm. back. You took takes decades to take an inch. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, you wake up and you're a mile back. You've been pushed back a mile. Mm-hmm. But you fought hard, so you weren't pushed back two miles. And by saying you weren't, your advocacy for the persecuted church, like you have been working, for example, in Sudan now for decades. You played an important role in, in defending the Christians even before the comprehensive peace agreement and the partition and then you have someone like yep. Rod Dreher who, because he, I guess, you know, look, I didn't like Trump. I was very much almost a never Trumper. But because I care so much for these issues, like the pro-life issue, like the persecuted church, like the plight of the people who suffered because of our foreign policy failures in Iraq, in Syria, in Yemen, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, around the world, uh, the plight of the Uyghur. I couldn't help but sit back and say, this guy, Donald Trump, and his political appointees are, if there was one thing that linked all of his policies and his most of his appointees and their advocacy and their work, it would be a thoughtfulness to the vulnerable and the persecuted. Mm-hmm. You had uh, Pompeo declare it was a genocide against the Uyghur. You had immediately Biden walk that back and say that it was... Uh, that it was uh, a Chinese cultural norm. Genocide is a Chinese cultural norm. That's insulting to the Chinese more than the Uyghur. Then the uh, virtue signaling at the border is leading to deaths uh, and displacement so much so that the president of Guatemala is is telling Biden to shut his trap, that he's putting Guatemalan, vulnerable Guatemalan families in jeopardy, children in jeopardy. Um, and so you have this guy, Raj Rare, who is really, I think everything he does is, and maybe you agree with me, I, I think you do, it's really about posturing an image, not an authentic concern for the vulnerable, and the fact that he's gaslighting us with the title, Live Not By Lies, is in, 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 in frustrating. But to people who don't know and read the book, and they go, well, he's a great guy, and he says such sweet things, and you guys are so mean. You're mean, mm-hmm, Faith, mm-hmm. right? I know, I know. I've been accused of being mean before. Well, you were accused by the government of Sudan of being an arms trader. I'm not going to bring that up. No, don't. Please don't bring that up. How did you get accused of being an arms trader? We're going to bring it up. Uh, because uh, I... For, I I'm not. I didn't bring it up. <laughs> so how did you... I, um, I looked at what was happening in in South... This is South Sudan, not Sudan, yeah. that, that did this. The, uh, the group who were working to undermine and try to overthrow President Salva Kiir in South Sudan um, didn't like the fact that I was bringing out 
information that people weren't getting. There was this whole narrative about Mean Salvatier and um, that he was a warlord when he was a a freely and fairly elected president of the country. Um, but the, the the narrative with the foreign policy elites and the the State Department was that um, you know these were two warlords clashing over a country, meaning he and the then disgraced, now back as one of the five vice presidents that South Sudan has, um, Riyak Mashar. So uh, when I brought up and and wrote about some things, uh, telling the truth about what Mashar had done for decades um, and how he had his his soldiers had slaughtered um, their own fellow South Sudanese during the the first war, the war that Sudan was in. Um, by joining the Sudan side, uh, they didn't like it. So they said, oh, she must be in the pay of Salvatier. So she must be an arms dealer. Then they saw me in South Sudan um, wearing a, a pair of, uh, of of jeans and a T-shirt and said, look, she has on a military uniform. <laughs> and so they uh, they accused me of being an arms dealer. I, I, I wish somebody would accuse me of that. <laughs> I would yeah, put it. I would. Bad. I would go into Wikipedia <laughs> and like insert it into my own Wikipedia bio. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would encourage it. You know, because it's they, arms. They to- even called my church, Jason. Some mm. of these people even called my church and said to my pastor, "This woman is not a Christian. She's evil." <laughs> well, you know, and that okay. So now you're getting to the crux of the challenge, right? So. You have worked uh-huh. um, for decades with some very prominent organizations at the front line of defending the persecuted church. But for those of us, you know, in our where we go to church, we coach Little League, we homeschool our children, we run a business, but we want to tithe, we want our tithe, some of our tithe, and we want to support financially organizations that are standing with these vulnerable communities. But again, there's so much misinformation. There's so much confusion. Um, I want you to do two things today for us. Give us a strategy of how maybe we can support organizations that are serving the vulnerable and the persecuted. And our friend wrote a brilliant book on how, in there he cites how 80% of the, uh, in the New Testament, when we're told to tithe, it's to, to the persecuted church. I think that number's right. About 80% of the time we're told to tithe, it's to tithe to the persecuted church. But how do we do that, right? It's it's so confusing on who to support. And then, and maybe you can do that last, but then, but maybe now what you can do is sort of give us a broad, comprehensive view of the world on the state of the persecuted church in the world. Oh, wow. And, well, okay. And I mean, we don't have, we only have like 20, 30 minutes, but... Uh, you know, where do we begin? Like for me, I began with one of my best friends lives in Sudan. And you know who that is? Brad Phillips with the Persecution Project mm-hmm. Foundation. Through him, I mm-hmm. fell in love over two decades ago with the people of Sudan through his stories, through my friendship with Brad. And that's how my work in Sudan began. My work in Iraq began through my friendships with Assyrian Christians in Chicago who had fled Saddam Hussein. And they were my friends. And that's how I first became aware of what was happening to Christians in Iraq. And then my my best friend has lived and worked in Iraq and Syria now for almost three decades. And so it was through my, my friends and through their love and through them introducing me to these folks. That's how my involvement began with the persecuted church and also with other ethnic and religious minorities like the Kurds, the Yazidis, the Uyghur, etc. But for most of us, right, what, maybe if we don't have those sort of like if you're listening and you're a Syrian, you need to be all in for the Assyrians. If you're Uyghur, you need to be all in for the Uyghur. Don't be spending your you know, don't virtue signal and say, I need to go over here. If your house is on fire, your neighbor's house is on fire, put your house mm-hmm. fire out and then help us, help your neighbor. But for those of us, right? Um, most of us, then we're not gonna sort of bump into these communities. Where do we begin? Well, um, what you just said, it, it's actually such an important part. And even if people don't bump into the community, if there is a way to develop a relationship, relationships are so important. 
I mean, I don't think I would have kept doing this this work for this many years if it were just an issue or, you know, work. But it's relationships. It's when you know the people, when they're not statistics to you anymore, um, and, and you, you actually can see faces and, and know the hearts of people, um, that it really becomes something. Um, some people are in communities where there may be a, a way to get to know uh, people who, who have come from other countries. Like, you know, I mean, when the Lost Boys came to the United States, they were all over the place. You could find Lost Boys from Sudan and Fargo, North Dakota, and and Boston. You know, they picked the really nice, warm places for the poor Lost Boys. So bizarre. To go to. So bizarre. And, yeah. that, and then it ended up in tragedy, didn't it? It really did. We as a church failed the, the, the Sudanese community, I think, in a big yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah, in in a lot of ways, um, there are some that have you know done very well, but um, there was not. It, it was a such an unusual situation too that these these kids came over here who um, had never flipped a light switch before, or who had never didn't didn't know what a sandwich was, you know, um, just and they needed to have so much training on that but some of them i mean one of my one of my best friends uh who was a lost boy is now a bishop in south sudan so um there are and, and another one is in juba who has a school with almost 400 children going to that school from 13 different ethnicities so uh there are a lot of wonderful things uh going on too um, but for people, you know, who are looking that there, there are so many resources now, many more than when I started. I mean, when I started hearing about the persecuted church in the Soviet Union, I heard about it first through, uh, an article in a, a magazine. And I had to take the, uh, initiative to look at the, the footnotes and find all the organizations they were talking about and send in uh, re- requests to them for information. And this was, you know, there was no email. There, there were, I don't even know if there were barely fax machines. Yeah, there were fax machines. But, um, but people have it easy now. If you want to get involved with the persecuted church, you know, look into the different organizations. Um, you know, like Kataki Smalls and, uh, and all the others that are doing work for persecuted Christians, um, and find one that is doing, uh, work in a country where you might have an interest. Um, and I'd say even before that, pray, pray about it. See where, what, what God puts on your heart. You know, you may pray, God help me to, to know what to do to help persecuted people. And the next day, you will bump into someone from another country, or you will see a movie that that rips your heart apart, like Sing a Little Louder, um, and uh, you know, then you you know what the next step is to go from there. Um, but you know, I pray, find out information of different organizations, um, find out, especially you know, the ones who don't just. Uh, don't just give you prayer points, but give you action items to do. Like right now, um, my organization, along with a, a number of others, uh, and along with you, <laughs> has uh, started this campaign for the U.S. Olympics Committee to move the Olympics out of China. Um, and, you know, that's something that people can be involved in and feel proud about trying to, to help to do something like that. We also have a um, an initiative going to, to try to bring awareness to the fact that over 1,100 students in Nigeria, Christian students, have been slaughtered since December. So we're trying to bring awareness to... Say that one uh, more time. Say that one more time. Over 1,100 school kids, students, have been slaughtered in Nigeria since December by Boko Haram and the Fulani. And this is one, This it would bless my heart to pieces if people decided to get involved in trying to stop the fake narrative that the uh, foreign policy elites 
and the State Department keep pushing about Nigeria, that this is just a, a clash between farmers and herdsmen. That is, you know, that's the narrative, that this is because of climate change and the, the herdsmen, you know, oh, well, they just, they need a place for their cows to graze. So, of course, it has to be the, the farms of only Christians in Nigeria, and you have to wipe out the entire family um, in the middle of the night in order for your cows to graze. That's what's happening. This global warming narrative, and, and people are going to listen, they're going to find this hard to believe. Like, It sounds crazy, right, that you would look um, an Iraqi leader in the eyes and say, we're sorry, you're ethnic minority, we can't really deal with because we're focused on LGBTQ issues. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's insane to act as if what's happening in Nigeria is because of global warming. I I think I told you, Faith, about the time with Dr. Naham Ghaffari, Dr. Namam Ghaffari, and an ISIS survivor who months, just months before this ISIS survivor, a Yazidi girl was in an ISIS rape camp. Dr. Ghaffari allowed herself to be, who just passed away recently from COVID, while caring for the Yazidi and other refugees in Syria and bringing them into back into Kurdistan. She died. She caught COVID and died. Ended up dying just just less than a month ago. Quite tragic. But we brought Dr. Ghaffari to the United Nations to a conference hosted by the Holy See, that is the Vatican, and it was on how global warming is what's causing the internally displaced people's problem in Iraq. And Dr. Ghaffari, a Kurd, a Muslim, asked to address the, the community. She went up there with this survivor of ISIS, this Yazidi girl, and said, with all due respect, I am Muslim, but it is Islamic extremism that is the number one cause for internally displaced people in Iraq and Syria. She could have added, and, and the United States' atrocious foreign policy and military blunders. I would have, I would have mm-hmm. been good with that. Um, mm-hmm. But she was probably too nice and polite, though, to do that. Yeah, nah, she wasn't nice. I, I, I love Dr. Gaffari. She was not nice. She was serious as a heart attack. But I, but she was the type. To, she, she knew that they would have gone along. They would have made it all about U.S. foreign policy. Maybe she wanted to tell them the one thing they didn't want to hear. That's how she was. Mm-hmm. And they banged a gavel, acted as if she didn't even speak, and dismissed the room. Yeah. See, we need more people, more just people who, who like you say, are coaching Little League, who are, you know, doing their, their, their own home business, whatever they're doing, but they need to get involved in this. Just to say, hey, I don't believe this anymore. I know what's happening. I I have checked out the websites and I know that this is not a matter of global warming or climate change or whatever. And and when when Christian farmers and entire villages in Nigeria are being wiped out um, with uh, with the Fulani coming in and letting their their cows take over but killing the people um, it's not about climate change, um, and you know before it was before it was climate change, it was just poverty. You know, it, I, I remember a hearing with with our one of our heroes, Congressman Chris Smith, where the, one of the uh, people who was testifying at the hearing from the State Department said, "Well, it's the um, it's the, these these young men um, in Boko Haram ha- are, have been impoverished and." Uh, and they, we need to build rec centers for them so they can play basketball. <laughs> and they wouldn't kill people if, if they weren't so poor. And Christmas said, that is an insult to every poor person on this planet who doesn't commit murder. <laughs> and also said, you know, if we tried building rec centers for them, it would become a, a, a station for uh, for Boko Haram and, and ISIS or something like that. Um, meanwhile, these Boko Haram guys, who they said were so impoverished, were driving around Nigeria in chauffeur-driven SUVs with their own chef with them to make meals for them while they were on the road killing people. 
Yeah, no, this is unbelievable that they say these things. You know, uh-huh. is it um, that, that it's pot? Chris Smith, by the way, is 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 an absolute hero who's been doing this for three decades. Uh-huh. I wish I could have seen the look yeah. on his face. But you know, when I was going to Sudan with Brad, we were bringing somebody who was asking all these questions, and I was just stunned. Like, well, you know, how are their food lunch programs? No, how are their school lunch programs? Was the question. <laughs> We were going oh, no. to Darfur, and uh, I was like, there's no schools. There's no yeah, lunches, lunch. and there's no there's programs. No I mean, there's no schools. <laughs> there's no lunch, and there are no programs. And there are most definitely no school lunch programs. <laughs> oh, God. But they didn't yeah. get it. Like, they kept, well, no, but I mean, for, for lunch, when the kid, no, there's a tree and they cut the bark down, and they use that as a chalkboard. And the kids sit around the tree. They don't even have wells for clean water. That's why we're going on this trip to drill wells for this community. But this person, God bless them, was really hope. He was asking about school lunch programs. Oh my! You know, yeah. But why do the bureaucrats at the State Department and in the UN, these Westerners, these permanent employees? Why are they so ideologically blind and so cold? They're like well, aliens to me. I don't understand. They are the other. To me, to me, they are the other. They're so strange. Yeah. You meet with them. You look them in the eye. And you're like, who is? There's nobody home. What's going through their mind? What do they daydream about? What are their aspirations? Why do they have this job? They're, they're aliens to me. Have you been able to figure the mentality out of these people? Not really. I mean, when I, you know, when I started uh, at at the Institute on Religion and Democracy, where I worked before, um, you know, and we were working to to get the International Religious Freedom Act passed in 1998. Nina Shea and I were working together, and we 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 both wrote about how this is an incomprehensible thing that that uh, people don't understand that yes, religious Religion is important to people, um, you know, because if you're a secularist and you don't care about religion, um, then you don't understand why why would people be willing to die for their faith? Why don't they just go along with what, you know, what, what the people tell them to, and then they won't get in trouble? And I've even heard church leaders say that. Um, in, the, in the National Council of Churches, there was a woman who talked about the fact that the only people um, in in one particular country who were being persecuted were those who abandoned the faith of their childhood. <laughs> so basically, they converted to Christianity, but she made it sound like it was a really bad thing. Bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. So you give us like what something that you don't think we know about that we need to know about right now. Well, we've talked about China. We talked about um, the Uyghur. Yeah. Talked about Falun Gong. Well, one there is there is some positive notes in Sudan. Um, Bishop Andudu from the Nuba Mountains in Sudan said that things are more free there right now than they've been in eight hundred years. He he's he's preaching and bringing uh, bringing people to Christ all over the place and baptizing like 1500 people at a time so um in spite of you know all the the things that i still don't believe are true that the sudan government has changed its stripes or anything this does seem to be an opportunity for um for the christian church to to not have to you know be ducking bombs for a while anyway so, and of course, we always we always said that with the Soviet Union, we said there's a there's a door opening or a window opening, but we don't know how long it will be for. Um, and you know, you talked about Azerbaijan and Armenia earlier. I went to Armenia in I think it was 1990. I think that's when I was there, and they were the, the there were people who were from Nagorno Karabakh in Yerevan. They had fled from Nagorno Karabakh, Christian Armenians. And um, told about the 
the atrocities that were being um, perpetrated against Christians then. Um, and then, you know, things seemed to to get better for a while, and now here they are again. So um, I think something that people may not know is that, you know, these situations, uh, there's like an ebb and flow, um, and we have to be on guard all the time to try to keep things from going back to bad. I mean, again, in China, um, when in the days of Chairman Mao, it, the, the devastation of Christians was just uh, amazing. But then um, things, you know, little by little, we, we would hear things like, well, it's not the state that's doing the persecution now. It's, it's really the local governments. So some local governments were much more lenient towards Christians than others. And even the, the underground church in China started to kind of come out from the underground. And, uh, um, but now, especially uh, with this new administration and their stand on, on China not being uh, very strong, um, things are getting worse all the time. I just heard that uh, China banned a Bible app from people. So along with changing the Bible, they've they've done that. They've yeah, changed think, stories in the Bible. Did we talk about this before? With, with you? I don't know if I talked about this with you before, but they changed in the official Chinese version of the Bible approved by the government. Yeah. Did, did we talk about the stoning of the woman caught in adultery, how they changed that? I Well, I talked about it to somebody. I think I did talk about it to you. Yeah, because it, it's just so bizarre that yeah t- tell us Jesus tell how they change the it it's insane it's it's a horror it movie I, I actually said to my yeah. team here at movie to movement i'm like we should make this uh-huh. into a movie this is dark and sadistic <laughs> yeah. this is the it craziest really is. thing i've ever heard in my life we should make this a short movie because it would it, christians would be scandalized if we made how yeah. the chinese changed the bible into a movie i might uh-huh. call it G's the passion of the Christ or something like that. Pat, the passion of the woman caught in adultery uh, written by the communist party of China. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe they'll sue me. I think you should. I'm I'm serious. Really? Well, tell us. I'm serious too. Okay. So they took the, the, the story, the wonderful story of both forgiveness and accountability of how the, the Pharisees and, and, and hypocritical men were ready to stone a woman for adultery, um, and Jesus came up and uh, was writing in the sand, and uh, then when he, he said to them, whoever is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And amazingly enough, they were, um, the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on them, I guess, because one by one, they left. There was nobody. I, mean, I just think he was writing the name of women in the sand, like, you know. Write these ladies' names. Well, you're probably right. And these guys are like, what? I'm out of here. How does he know this? How does this? he know this? And he's out of there. Okay, so how did the yeah. Communist Party of China change the story? Well, instead of Jesus saying, let him that is without sin cast the first stone, uh, they they come up to Jesus and they tell her, this this woman was caught in adultery. What what do you think we should do? We're supposed to stone her. And he, he says, well, nobody's perfect, and he casts the first stone. The Lord Jesus Christ throws the first stone at the woman. No, it's worse than that, I think. He sent them what, away. What else was there? No, he sent them away. He sent they went away. Oh, okay, I didn't remember and, that part. And then part. he stoned her to death himself because <laughs> oh, he was the right authority. Oh, so the moral okay. of the just, story is that only the right authority can put you to death. Can execute you. Imagine wow, Jesus. You word. see the. Imagine the whole yeah. story. They walk away. You're like, I'm saved. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> and this guy starts stoning you to death with rocks. <laughs> This is yeah. the mentality uh, of the this is a regime that puts three million people in concentration camps, bribes the Vatican, harvests organs, forces abortions on all of its women, and rewrites the Bible. Of course that's how they're gonna rewrite the Bible. It course. makes perfect sense from their worldview. Mm-hmm. And it's creepy. It's you know what, we're gonna make that a short film. 
That's going to be a movie-to-movement short film. Yeah. Because if that doesn't get the church's attention, what will? Seriously. Seriously. Well, you know, that's one of the things that I talk about every time I speak, is that we need the arts in, in this advocacy movement. You know, it's not enough to give people facts, and it's not enough to, to talk, but we need the arts. The arts move people in ways that, that other things can't. So I think that would be wonderful. Um, songs, uh, sculptures even. There's a... There's a um, a college in, I think it's in Tennessee, that after uh, over a hundred uh, Christian students were murdered by uh, El Shabaab in Garissa, Kenya. Do you remember that? I do. Um, they 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 planted a row of um, trees in like a sculpture garden to remember these students and to have a place for people to go and pray because you know the the. Uh, El Shabab had separated out the Christians and only killed them. Which, uh, when when President Obama talked about it, he he forgot about that part. He just said these the students who were killed by terrorists, but he didn't mention the fact that they were killed because they were Christians. On I think it was Good Friday too. I know it was it was sometime in either Lent or Holy Week. Yeah, and I think that's so important for us as Christians because. As Christians, we're not going to we're going to keep standing with all these ethnic and religious communities suffering vicious violence and persecution, but we cannot forget our own. I mean, it's just it's just crazy that that we we allow this to happen, and we call them their own. But you know what? I'm as connected to that community as I mean, we're different cultures, we're different places in the world, um, but they're Christians. But because they're Christians, we know that the secular leftists and Western governments care not at all about them because they offer nothing to them they're not useful at all to them as an instrument of virtue signaling or gas they're an embarrassment to them actually and so the most abandoned communities in the world are oftentimes these christian communities in africa these christian communities in the middle east like for example christians in israel palestinians no voice right and so those of us who are radically committed to serving the vulnerable well, then we have to be radically committed to serving the vulnerable. And and, and, and right now, uh, there are Christian communities in this world that are the most vulnerable uh, communities on, on the planet. And, um, you know, one thing, Faith, when we look what happened with the Lost Boys, and as you said, it, there are these windows, they open and they close. I think when we, you know, when we as individuals or as churches pick a community to serve, we need to stick with that community, Right. Because sometimes what happens is there are these, these enthusiasms, and we get really excited. So the Lost Boys came, and, we, and they were speaking all over the country, and they were speaking at all of our churches, and there were movies made and books. And, and, um, but then all of a sudden, we just kind of forgot about them, as if everything was yeah. better. And, you know, I made a horrible mistake once. I had sent uh, a, a young man who who, um, how do I say this without, this young man who, you know, didn't have a mother and a father, who was um, a victim of the genocide in Sudan, and I sent him to Sudan um, with $25,000 and a film crew to document some things for me. Well, what happened? And it was a big mistake that I made. He hit the wind as soon as he got to Sudan, right? hit the wind and Uh what I wasn't thinking of is this young man who had been an orphan and had been abandoned and you know I I I put him in a position to do that right and um, I actually hurt him by doing that and so when we're working with especially vulnerable communities vulnerable young people from these communities we have to be very thoughtful, and then we have to be in it till the very, 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 very end. Like I'm still friends with this young man. Well, he's not a young man anymore. This was a while ago. Um, and so we need to, to serve and partner with these communities to the very end, right? It's not just yeah. uh, we yeah. get swept up in these enthusiasms, and then we go from one enthusiasm to the next. It, it really needs to be a, a, a lifetime commitment, and more than a lifetime commitment are for our religious communities need to sort of maybe build relationships and bridges that last generations. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's very important. Um, and to realize that the trauma that still exists in them, that, you know, we have to always understand that they're coming from a place of trauma that, that hasn't possibly, most probably hasn't been healed completely. So, um, no, look, we look at our, our friends that come back from war and, um, mm-hmm. you know, our family members and that trauma. Well, imagine it being a child born into war. And, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's those, those wounds will be with you till the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Unless God does a real, you know, I mean, a miracle of miracles, um, which he has done at times, but not, not with everybody and not everybody's open to that. Sometimes the trauma almost becomes like, you know, your badge of identity and you don't want to give it up. So. Hmm. You know, one of the saddest things faith I ever saw my daughter when we lived in LA my oldest daughter she would get up every morning at 5 a.m she would ride her bike to a bus stop put her bike her bicycle onto this bus take the bus into skid row and she would serve the homeless community there until noon and then at noon she would go to school college and then you know she'd come back well she did this all the time so sometimes I would go down there with her and so one time I was down there on Skid Row with her in, in Los Angeles, and there was a young Sudanese woman, and she could almost not, she couldn't even really talk, and she would just walk around and just stare, and I I, I heard from one of the other church groups over there they gave me sort of her backstory, and you know she was, uh, she lived through the genocide, lost her husband and her child, her children. And made it to the United States, but just had a complete break. And you would just look at her just roaming the streets. And I would see her then all the time I would go there. And you would just see her roaming the streets. And you could see this, like, loss and longing in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And if I go there, pray God she's, you know, still alive. If I were to go to Los Angeles today to Skid Row, I would see her with the same, like, she was just this far-off look. But in that far-off look, you could see the loss and the longing. She didn't see the buildings, the cars, the people. She was living in, in that trauma, that hurt, you know, of, of she lost everything. And this is something that none of us can empathize with. It's just something we could never begin to wrap our mind around. And um, yeah. by God's grace, we hope, I pray, we can never wrap our mind around this kind of sorrow. And all we can do is serve them, Right. And realize that God has put us in the place we are for such a time as this, you know? Yeah, you know, I used to hate that expression, the way you hated live not by lies and uh, standing with the (laughs) other. No, but you know what? Uh I don't hate it anymore. You want to know why? Because I think it is for such a time as this. But I, you, it is, yeah. But, you know, I, I would hear it like we'd be at a, at a convention center with like 50,000 people and, you know, uh, Jars of Clay would be performing and there'd be a big name, several big name speakers and there'd be hundreds of kiosks of Christian booksellers and somebody uh-huh. would be up there and they would say, God chose us for such a time as this. And I'd be shoving popcorn in my face, you know. <laughs> Looking at the program, <laughs> like, oh, this uh-huh. is, God created me for such a time as this. Wow, I'm a must be a lucky guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, really. But, yeah, what were you gonna say? I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, at a point like that, yeah, I can see why you would hate it because it's it's superficial and it's um, it's it's based in a a world. We're like you say, we're lucky. Everything's great. Such a time as this. What does what does that mean in a situation like that? It certainly doesn't mean the same thing it meant to Esther when she had to save her people from annihilation. <laughs> well, no, and and what's funny is when they said it, they meant as if we were living through some kind of hard time, right? It was like for such a time uh-huh. as this, and they meant it like this is such a challenging time. And and you were like, no, 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 it's not. But this popcorn could use more butter. I get that, or it's not real butter, <laughs> but it's not all that bad. Um, 
But now, look, this year I lost my father-in-law to COVID. My family had to move. Our business was almost destroyed. I'm going to Hawaii because one of my best friends, um, maybe, we don't know, was an accident or suicide. Um, And he was struggling with depression. And, you know, people struggling with depression in normal times, this COVID year has been very hard. And Uh this is a strange time. And not only has it been a strange time for us and our family, our friends and our neighbors, everyone on the globe and the uh-huh. CCP has ramped up its cruelty, its violence, its persecution. Um, me as a Catholic, I have seen my church leadership silent on all of the important things from whether we don't have access to the sacraments, silent on standing with the persecuted church, silent on standing with the Uyghur suffering the greatest genocide since the Holocaust. And so it's con- uh, changing churches, unchangeable teachings, uh, or at least you know mm-hmm. pretending to. Um, all of this is, is quite confusing. And so I, mm. when you say for such a time as this, mm-hmm. yes, now is that time. Mm-hmm. Now is that mm-hmm. time. Now is the time to step up. And the, the funny thing is the, the, the pastors and televangelists and stuff who were saying that then, they're probably wearing their masks and sitting at home watching church on tv they're not they're not the ones who are out there being radical um but but there are some you know and i'm i'm encouraged by those who are who are preaching the gospel out in california right now and uh looking to see um the the next great jesus movement start in california again it's starting right (laughs) california some rabble rousers it is it is, yep. And there's some rabble-rousers <laughs> in the U.K. right now. I don't oh, know if you've wow. seen that. I saw some news today. People are getting, uh, in Australia, people are getting frisky. And, mm. um, you know, it, it's, it is just, it's, yeah, that's, you know, you just said that where I haven't heard any prosperity gospel or um, health and wealth, what do they call it? Um, you Protestants, oh, what yeah. do you call that? The the prosperity gospel? <laughs> or what? Yeah, the, the, um name it and claim it name it i don't hear people naming and claiming it taking off that mask i cure your covid where'd they go we need them now more than ever where'd they go we need seriously right if you're doing oh that's interesting they're gone when 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 we sing the song in church i'm no longer a slave to fear wearing our mask it's like i just almost want to vomit (laughs) No, it's sad. It's sad. Well, Faith, I got to wrap it up because I got a kid to pick up mm-hmm. from sports. Ah, so okay. give us, give us, um, tell us about your organization and give us some marching orders. Okay. Well, Qatar Kismos is uh, also KGI. So you can find it at kgiglobal.org, which you have the website of. And we're trying to equip the saints, the saints here and now in this country to realize that according to Galatians 6.10, we're to do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith, as we've been talking about. Um, and uh, so they can learn more about what they can do. Um, they can be involved in things like signing the petition about the the moving the Olympics out of China, things like that. Um, another place that we're trying to help because of, well, because of the persecution, but especially now with the virus, um, is the Christians in Pakistan. Talk about vulnerable people. Um, they're so vulnerable that, you know, if they say the wrong word, they can get shoved into a brick kiln and burned to death, which is what happened to a young couple and their unborn baby because uh, someone else working in the brick kiln accused them of blasphemy against Muhammad. So, you know, we're trying to help them. We're, we're just seeing the world, as you said, in flames and knowing that uh, ultimately Jesus is the only answer. But we're his hands and feet here, and we have to do what we're here for such a time as this to do. We're going to live not by lies, serving the other for such a time as this. Right, Faith? <laughs> And other yes. cliches. Okay, so Faith, yes. one thing I want to end on this, because you're always joyful. Mm-hmm. I love working with you. And I found that like, when you order your life around serving the vulnerable, whether it's at the soup kitchen, your family member with, um, you know, who's struggling with an illness, 
your neighbor, your friends, or serving the persecuted church, like you, you, what happens is you, get, you don't get lonely. Like I don't want to say like you, you, your life is filled. You you just seem one of the most joy filled people I know, and it's something I want everyone to do is just order their life around serving the vulnerable, whether it's their three year old child, whether it's their elderly grandparent, whether it's their neighbor with dementia, whether it's at the local pregnancy center or serving the vulnerable persecuted church. Um, you are just one of the most joy-filled people I know. And is it fair to say that... Well, my middle name is Joy. Okay, well, there you have it. <laughs> Literally. So just so, change your and- middle name and you'll be like Faith, happy all the time. <laughs> no, but right there, no, there's and, a strange... There, There is a strange peace, right, that comes upon you and joy... When yeah. you order your life to serve the vulnerable. Yeah. As long as you're staying close to God at the same time. Because, you know, if if you're if you don't, you can reach a point where you're like worn out or um just uh despair. Can't take anymore. And I've done that plenty of times and realized, ooh, mm-hmm. I need a big infusion of worship. So like instead of going to see Reese um, Witherspoon and and the people who were in the movie about the Lost Boys of Sudan when I had a chance to go to the premiere. It was the same night as a Rend Collective concert. I needed to go rock out with Jesus in order to to get my joy back and not you know spend the whole night talking about the Lost Boys again. So people need to stay balanced. But yes, the, thank you for saying that because that's true. Vulnerable. Because you can, and I've mm-hmm. done this. We've all done this. Where. We mm-hmm. think it's all us, and we can mm-hmm. be crushed in despair. Um, yeah. I think it's that balance, right? I think we all know we live in an age where we all know what's really happening around the world. So um, mm-hmm. we're not ignorant, so there's no bliss. So if we're not mm-hmm. uh, putting our shoulder to it, we're addled by sort of guilt, mm-hmm. maybe, and mm-hmm. um, because we know there's the world needs our, our, you know, they need us to put our oar in the, in the water and start rowing. Um, but then if we think it's just us um, and we forget God, then, again, we can be crushed and we can despair. And, and um, Because the sea of suffering is as big as the ocean, and we're never going to empty it, right? Um, but That's like Mother right. Teresa said, we can stick our bucket into that sea of human suffering and bring it home and every day tend to our bucket. And you do a wonderful job mm. of tending to your bucket. So thank you, Faith. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I love working with you, too. And I love the beauty and conviction that your art brings into this. And I'm going to start crying in a minute, so I'm not going to say any more. <laughs> Don't cry. Well, thank you for sharing all of our films, especially Sing a Little Louder. You're our biggest fan. So, And we have oh, a bunch of Zoom calls to do in the next week together, too. So I'll see you on the Zoom calls. Okay. Katarismos is going to be <laughs> – don't laugh at me. You know, my stepdad's Greek. Sorry. I should know how to say this. I could say spani, <laughs> spani kapita. I can say that. Mm. I can say lefta. That's all I know. That's the only word my stepfather taught me was lefta, which means money. Oh. That's as far as my Greek goes. <laughs> we'll end on that, Faith McDonald. I'm going to put all your, oh, I'm going to okay. put your website in the show notes and also the Amazon link to your book. And we'll catch up soon. Oh, great. Okay, thanks a lot, Jason. God bless you. Aloha, Faith. Aloha. Okay, guys, I'm going to put Faith's um, book in the show notes. You should already have it. She's been on before. I've asked you to get it, but it's going to be back in the show notes. Also, her organization. I'm not even going to try to say the name. Uh, I love how the Anglicans are using Greek. As Catholics, we use Latin. The Anglicans use Greek. I think there's something to that. I'm going to I'm gonna research that. That's interesting in how we brand and what we're doing there is is uh, in the denominational divide. But she is a hero for the vulnerable, and I'm a big fan. This episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, creating a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. Check out our new movie, Divided Hearts of America, streaming everywhere. Also, The Vulnerable People Project. Go to thegreatcampaign.org, and if you could, this is our spring fundraising drive, and we're one-fifth the way to our goal Every donation helps us reach, uh, helps us do our work and cover our expenses with all the work we do around the world. And of course, this episode is being brought to you by Mike Lindell's wonderful 
MyPillow. You go to MyPillow.com, use, click the radio listener square, use the code Jones, and you get those deep, deep discounts. And you know what I'm selling today? I'm selling slippers. And uh, you get 40% off. And that deal's about to end, so go to MyPillow.com, get these amazing plush slippers. I'm looking at mine now across the room. and They're not on my feet, but I'm looking at them, and they are aesthetically beautiful. Also, go to MyPillow.com and use the code JONES. To be in solidarity with the vulnerable is to be vulnerable. Until next time, Jason Jones Show. This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh